You are listening to More to the Story, a weekly podcast featuring Pastor Drew Tarwater and Pastor Darren Enns of Forefront Church in Denver, Colorado. Each week, More to the Story podcast will follow the Forefront Church Sunday Sermon as Pastor Drew and Pastor Darren guide you through the Bible from Genesis through Revelation. Every podcast will feature in-depth analysis of the sermon and answer questions about the Bible. Now, here is more to the story. Welcome to the Forefront Church Podcast. This week we have a special guest with us, but first, Pastor Darren Enns, how are you doing? Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks Rob, good to see you all. Good to see you as well. Thanks for that great impersonation I heard of myself the other day. That made me. <laughs> that was so good. <laughs> so, <laughs> Pastor It's because I, I hear you say the exact same thing every week. Every week. It's, Welcome to the Forefront it's, Church it's, podcast. And you got to do the editing so you hear it multiple times. But I yep. would like to say it's a sign of a pro that can do it consistently every time. <laughs> so, Pastor Drew Tarwater, welcome back. How are you doing, sir? Doing great. So good to be with you guys. And I'm so excited about our conversation today. If you can't see, he is wearing a Kansas City Chiefs hat. I don't know why. So, and I'm Rob Lazzi. We have a special guest with us. We've had him on a few years ago. You might not have heard him. I remember him when he was at Forefront Church a number of years ago. My fiance, then at the time, were there sitting in the audience listening to him talk about the finishing fun. And we were like, Doug, slow your roll. Slow your roll. We're just getting married here. We don't want this thing to finish too quickly. Mr. Doug Cobb, thank you so much for joining us. Guys, it's great to be with you. Thanks for inviting me on. So we're give us a what is the finishing fund and why are you doing the finishing fund? Jesus told his church, go and make disciples of all nations. That word nations in the Greek is ethne, ethnos. It describes people groups of which there are about 12,000 of them on the planet. I read that verse to say that our mission is to go and make disciples in every one of those 12,000 people groups. The finishing fund is a way to accelerate the completion of that task. We help ministries who are willing to go for the first time to a people group that's never been engaged with the gospel, where they've never heard the name of Jesus. We help those ministries go faster and sooner than they otherwise would be able to go with the aim of getting to zero people groups left on the planet with no witness for Christ. So we're about trying to finish the Great Commission as rapidly as possible. No, it's a it's amazing uh, thought and organizational plan to do what you're doing. We're, so what's the status update? Like, are we almost done? So uh, <laughs> we're pretty, we're getting pretty close to the, what I call the first finish line. So uh, 12,000 of these ethne around the world. When we started the finishing fund in 2017, there were about 1,450 that were in the status that we call unengaged, which means no believers, no churches, and no active effort to um, you know, take the gospel to them. Uh, over the last five years through the finishing fund, we've helped engage a little more than 700 of those 1,450 and others have also been at work. We haven't done all the work. Today, uh, my list, you know, the list I'm working from to figure out how we finish, has 56 groups on it uh, that have no active engagement project. About another 125 or so where there's project underway but no fruit yet. So, you know, depending on how you want to count it, 
somewhere under 200, maybe under 100 groups that are that remain unengaged. And my hope is that we'll be able to be started and all the rest by the end of this calendar year. So a question for you, Doug, why, why is it called the finishing fund? And then what happens when you finish? Like what's next? Is there a next? Well, yeah, that's a great question. So, um, you know, we, we called it the finishing fund, um, in part because we wanted to have a provocative name that would encourage people to, you know, pay attention you know, the a lot of messages out there to break through, and we wanted to have a name that would break through. But, but more really because it describes the mission that we have. You know, um, I think we are privileged as a generation to be in a place where we literally have the ability to finish the Great Commission. It is within our generation's grasp to do that. We have all the money we need, we have the technology we need, the transportation, we know what needs to be done. Uh, other than, you know, just our own unwillingness, there's really nothing that hinders us from finishing. And so my hope is, is that we will finish um, the Great Commission in the next few years. And what excites me about that is Jesus said in Matthew 24, 14, that when we finish, that will open the door to his return. He, he said, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. So at 65, I'm working hard to try to get done because I would love to see <laughs> Jesus come for me before I, I go to see him. You know, Doug, I remember back to December of 2018 when you and I first met and got connected and we discovered just this beautiful thing you were creating in the finishing fund. And to think that when we sat there and, you know, we talked about the vision of these 1400 people groups to, to think that we are so close now God is moving all around the globe and it's just beautiful. And for, for our listeners that aren't really familiar with your setup, talk about the difference between when we think about missions, so many people in the evangelical church think, okay, we're going to send a family from America into the Middle East or into China to go and, and plant a church. Uh, but the Finishing Fund has such a different model. Talk about just the differences and how you've seen the impact from, from that approach. Yeah, it's it's really interesting how this has really changed in the world of missions over the last 25 years. You're right, Drew, in describing kind of when we think of a missionary, we think of that couple with their kids on our refrigerator, right, that, you know, came from our church or maybe a sister church in our movement uh, and have gone overseas. And, and look, that is a venerable and important um, approach. And I, I always want to encourage anyone who is considering going overseas to do that. Um, Westerners have a lot to add to the to the process, but this last bit of the work uh, is very difficult for us in the West to do. The, the remaining groups that are left are left for a reason. They are in very remote places. Many of them are hostile. Uh, you know, they're in in places that are not accessible to people from the West very easily. And for the most part, really, for the vast majority all of the work that's being done to engage these remaining groups over the last five years that we've been involved with has been done by the indigenous church, by believers in the country where these people groups exist, going to tell them about Jesus. So in India, it's Indians going to uh, an unengaged people group. In Laos, it's, Laos, it's Laotians. In China, it's, it's Chinese. And you know, that has a, there's two or three things about that that I love. One is it's very efficient because 
those folks can work at um, you know the wage rates of those countries. We don't have to pay them like we have to pay American missionaries. The the finishing fund has a benchmark that we can send two workers for three years to a people group for about a total cost of thirty thousand uh, dollars. That's about what it would cost wow. to get the get the Western couple and their family over, you know, just, just getting them overseas caught would cost close to that amount. And we can do a three-year project for this. So it's very efficient. It's also though very effective because those um, national workers are, we call them near culture. They're not of exactly the culture that they're going to reach out to, but they're similarly cultured. So they're already used to the, you know, the geography and the climate and the food and there's just so many things that they don't have to master to be effective. Typically, they're going to speak a language that the target group will also speak. It may not be either of their primary languages, but it's a language that they share in in common. And for Westerners, we'd have to learn the the language. So uh, that's an effectiveness benefit. That, but here's the thing. I, like here's the thing I really really love about it. Let me just say one more thing. Mm-hmm. It, it's a picture of the body of Christ at work. It's the right. West bringing what we can bring. We're good at planning. We're good at, you know, project management. Those are things that we're really good at. The national workers are, you know, they they love their countries. They want to see the task finished in those places. They have these advantages. When we come together, it's like Paul describes the body of Christ, right? We're not all an ear. We're not all an eye. We do what we can do, and we work together to see this task accomplished. So, sorry, I just wanted to make sure to get that oh, in because oh. I just think it's so beautiful. So good. Oh. Absolutely. So what's the biggest challenge you guys face right now as you guys are going to finishing fund 2.0? What's like, what's the big wall or obstacle that you guys are facing? Well, let's, let's first talk about, you know, kind of finishing 1.0, this, you know, remaining task, you know, every step you make, the the groups that are left get harder and harder. Uh, You know, all the, all the easy ones were done before we started and the easiest of the 1400 have been done now. So you know, the groups that are left, many of them are in very difficult to reach places. So uh, there's a group of them that are in China. Uh, China is a very hard place to do ministry now. There's a group of them that are in the Amazon. Uh, not so hard to reach, just very remote, you know, just huge distances and sometimes even difficult to locate these groups. They're nomadic. It's not, you know, you, you know where they were the last time they were contacted, but you don't know where they are now and so you know wow. kind of the kind of the same promises that problems that we faced from the beginning just you know continue with these last few groups i i really do believe though that for all but a handful we have a path toward engagement we kind of know that there's a ministry that we think can probably do it um you know we're waiting to, for the project to get ready to go but you know we're really really close to seeing that seeing that happen doug t- um, tell our listeners a little bit more about what it means for a group to be reached. And so mm-hmm. you've got a group in the Amazon that's never heard of Jesus, that has no written mm-hmm. uh, lang- you know, Bible in their language. What, what would classify them as becoming reached in, in, uh, in the finishing fund um, you know, uh, process? Yeah. So, you know, we, we don't typically start, Drew, with, with translation, right? Um, almost everywhere in the world, this, this is a hard thing for Americans to get because, um, we're almost the butt of the joke about language, right? Um, everybody in the world know Americans only speak one language. It, you know, we expect if anybody wants to talk to us, they'll they'll learn our language to speak to us, <laughs> right. right? But but um, you know, in most parts of the world, the vast majority of the world, most people speak several languages. They they'll have the 
the language that they learned on their mother's knee, their tribal language, sometimes that's called their heart language. Um, and that's the language they'll speak at home with their family, you know, in the village. But they also have to be able to interact with the tribes around them when they go to the market, when they go to the city. And so um, it's very, very common that people speak at least one other language. Sometimes that's called a trade language. Uh, we call it a shared language in the finishing fund. And that shared language is almost always um, sufficient to begin the process of gospel engagement. So the workers who will go in will go in uh, speaking that shared language. They'll begin to engage with people who speak that shared language. They'll they'll bring resources in that shared language. So the Jesus film or audio Bibles, <coughs> excuse me, in that shared language. And that's sufficient to, to begin the process of telling people about Jesus, leading some people to Jesus, and beginning to disciple them. Now, eventually, that church is going to want the scripture in their own heart language, right? But often that is a, that's the next step that comes along. That's not the, the first step that needs to be undertaken. Um, and so, you know, for many of these small groups that we're working with, it, it's probably going to be a while before they'll get the Bible in their language. It's just only a few thousand speakers. You know, it's going to be down the priority list. Uh, but we have found that that shared language approach is sufficient to, you know, to do a lot of work in those places. That's really good. So would you consider, uh, is there a certain percentage of new believers or baptisms or something along those lines that would then classify them as reached? Yeah. So uh, the rule of thumb, and, and I have to tell you, I, I don't know where this comes from. I, I don't think there's any great biblical secret to this number. Um, but the, the kind of the rule of the thumb is that a group goes from being um, unreached to being reached when 2% of the population becomes Christian. Okay. Uh, somebody told me that that might be actually out of Malcolm Gladwell's book, Tipping Points, that you know, 2% oh. of a population is enough to influence the balance of the population. It wouldn't surprise me if, that, okay. if, that, if that's the root of it, right? So it, there's, no, you know, there's no doctrinal or you know, theological significance to that, to that number. It's kind of just the rule of, of thumb. What's interesting, uh, given the size of the groups that we're targeting, especially now here at the end, you know, let's say a group has, <coughs> excuse me, 5,000 people in it, right? Well, you know, 2% of 5,000 is 100 people. It's a very, very small number. And, and very often we will see a group go from zero followers of Jesus to 100 or two or 300 within the course of that three-year period of time. So groups go from unengaged, no Christians, to being reached, you know, over the course of one very quick uh, project. Obviously, it takes a lot longer. It's a lot harder in larger groups, but in these smaller groups, it can be it can happen all in one kind of one fell swoop. That's amazing. With these smaller groups, do you see like a culture change? Like, how much follow up is there then? Like, with you know these smaller groups, they have a couple hundred people come to Christ. Yeah. Is do they are they still accepted by their like depending what the religious or worldview of this group? Did they? Do they usually still stay in community? What happens when they do become Christian? Yeah, Rob, it, it varies quite a lot depending on where you are in the world, what the overall cultural, you know, uh, background is. In the Muslim world, it's typically, you know, very tough for those new believers in those new churches. Often they're underground or semi-underground. They're, you know, they're very cautious about that. Increasingly in India, that's the case too, although the gospel is spreading very rapidly and in India. Um, in other places, it's not so difficult. You know, people can, you know, move 
with um, freedom and, you know, the, evangelize with freedom. And so it, it tends to vary quite a lot uh, from place to place, depending on kind of the overall cultural, um, you know, uh, milieu. No, that's an interesting thought. So the other question I have for you guys is, uh, when are you guys going to reach uh, Boulder, Colorado? Like, what are they considered? It's really interesting. I, I don't, you know, I don't think when all of this people group stuff got started 25, 30, 40 years ago, uh, I, I think nobody thought about, you know, the previously reached as being a target group, right? So if you think right. about the United, United States of America, <coughs> excuse me, the, um, or Western Europe, even maybe to make a more stark example, you know, Western Europe 200 years ago was, was Christianized, right? It was established churches, people, everybody was a part of the, of the church. And so now, you know, you see Europe, it's post-Christian, uh, it becomes a, a mission field all over again. I don't know quite what the theology of the previously reached should be, you know, in terms of the Great Commission. Um, right now, you know, my, my mission is let's go to the places that nobody's ever heard. Uh, somebody else can have the mission of going back to the places where people used to know this and have forgotten it. So that that's a, a really interesting topic to me because I feel myself as a missionary to like where I'm at here in Denver. Uh, and, and I've been really shocked by the, the stat, not shocked, but like just eye-opening, like, oh, that uh, United States, it, it, Doug, do you know if the United States is still the number one country sending missionaries out? Or has that changed recently? That's a good question. I would bet that it is, or maybe Korea, um, but um, mm-hmm. I, I, I would say one of those two for sure. Yeah, and so the interesting thing is like South Korea, we're not talking about North Korea, but South Korea is such a small country, like the amount of missionaries per capita that South Korea sends out compared to the United States, it's shocking that they are number two. And it's 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 pretty close, right? I don't know what what that exact number is because it's always rising. Um, but yeah, America is becoming, United States is becoming more and more of a mission field. Um, I myself was a part of a ministry that was started by someone from South America, and it was a charismatic movement, um, really showing the power of the Holy Spirit. And it was, once I found yeah. that out, I was like, oh, that's, that's uh, really cool, but also like eye-opening, like America is becoming a mission field again. Yeah, you know, um, it's interesting. Um, there are there are certainly similarities, you know, between kind of the unreached in America versus the unreached in other parts of the world. What's different is, you know, if if you are an American and want to find out about Jesus, there is Jesus all around you to find out about, yeah. right? There are his people, there are churches everywhere. There's every, you know, stuff on the new, on the television, on the radio. I mean, on pi, I mean, you're saturated. We, we, you know, even if we are post-Christian as a culture, we're still saturated with the message of the, mm. the gospel, the places where we're working, <coughs> there's none of that. There's no churches. There's no gospel radio or TV. There's no pot. Well, they wouldn't even have the technology to do podcasts in most of those places. And so it really is a place. These places are places of complete, darkness. If you wanted to find out about Jesus, there would be no way to to do it. And so, um, you know, we have to go and bring the light of the gospel into those places for the first time. Do you ever hear stories of like, you talk about where they don't have like a, like a way that we know about, like to like a, a radio or TV or something mm-hmm. like, but like, there's sometimes stories of like almost like supernatural revelations of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Do they, do you hear stories of like when they get, they hear about it the first time, like, no, we've heard something about like the story's been there before of something close. 
Absolutely. Um, especially in the Muslim world, Rob, um, there are countless stories about people having dreams and visions in which they encounter Jesus. Uh, and he will often give them an instruction like, follow me. Um, what's interesting about those is um, Jesus in those visions and dreams, it, to the complete, my, to my knowledge, right? I ask this question every time I hear one of these from somebody. He never closes the deal. He always sends that person to meet a believer, sometimes in some very awkward encounters. Like we hear stories from believers that we know that are living in Muslim countries and are, you know, very cautious. And some of them come knock on their door at two o'clock in the morning and they'll be like, oh my gosh, this is it. You know, we're, we're going to get, we're going to get hauled off and killed. And the guy opens the door and, and the person there says, you know, I saw Jesus in a dream and he told me I should come to this house and somebody here could tell me who he is and how I can follow wow, him. Right. And, wow. uh, and you can imagine how that would freak out the, you know, the believers, you know, it, but at, this, at the same time, it's an amazing, it's an amazing privilege to be in that position. And so, uh, yes, Rob, there is a lot of supernatural stuff happening. W one of the things I, we do a monthly half hour little broadcast with our, um, little zoom with, with our ministry partners. I I'll just interview one every month for the finishing fund partners and um, I try at the end of those always to ask this question, hey, when you're out there like at the edge, do you ever see like signs and wonders or are there ever miracles or, you know, things that happen? And, and almost invariably, they'll start laughing and they'll say, well, of course we do. How would we possibly do what we're trying to do if we didn't have that kind of validation from the Holy Spirit? And so it would be um, unusual uh, for us to hear about a people group being engaged where there were not healings, where there were not demonic deliverances, and sometimes even things more remarkable than that, you know, occasionally uh, people being raised from the from the dead. And look, I, I'm a you know I'm a straight down the line if, if you know uh, evangelical. We're a little skeptical about those kinds of things, right? We're uh, you know we're a little little cautious, a little too poisoned by the Enlightenment. But here's the way I I, I reason about this, you know. Um, for all intents and purposes, in the places where we're sending missionaries, it might as well be 50 AD, right? Um, they've never heard about Jesus. They've No one's ever been there. Why would the Spirit not do today in those places the same things we read about in the book of Acts that were taking place around the Mediterranean, you know, um, 100, you know, in the first 100 years after, after Jesus came? And so, you know, it seems perfectly sensible and theologically clear to me that he has to be doing that work to validate the testimony of his people. Doug, that's so good. And, and to our listeners, I just want uh, just, just to say, this is why we have Doug on. So he, he can tell these stories because this right here, as Christians and believers, this should grow your faith. You know, we, we do live in the West where sometimes we do, we, we, we kind of push that stuff to the side because it's a little uncomfortable. But what Doug and the, the Finishing Fund team are seeing on the ground in these other parts of the world are, are truly what we see in the book of Acts. And that should grow your faith that God is still moving around the globe. Uh, it, it's just so beautiful. Doug, as we Drew, were... Have ever, I'm sorry. Have you ever noticed how the book of Acts kind of ends in the middle of the story? You know, Paul's right. in prison. Uh, we know he got let, released, that he traveled some more. You know, you can read about that in some of the his later uh, letters, Second Timothy and Titus. Um, yeah. Why did Luke not keep writing the story? Uh, and, and I'm convinced that the reason is, is because the Holy Spirit said, okay, I've, we've taken the story this far. Now you write the rest of the story. And so I think good. that's what we're doing. I, I think we're writing. I, 
I'm not sure which chapter it is, chapter 478 of the book of <laughs> Acts, right? But I, I think that's the privilege we have now of uh, you know the church in this era is to to write that last chapter of the book of Acts. I love that, Doug. And I tell you, it's such a, a blessing for Forefront to be a part of the finishing mm. front. Um, you know, just for us to be able to be lockstep, you know, together. And it's when we were together in December, I think it was is December, January, you were sharing some of the um, kind of really exciting updates and how funding looks and everything for the new year. You, you mentioned that you're rolling out finishing fund 2.0. Yeah. That's extremely exciting to me because as you, as we've been running this race together for these last five years, now there's this vision for what's next. Share a little bit with our, our listeners on what that next step looks like for the finishing fund. Yeah. So, you know, the Jesus was very clear that he expects to find his people at work when he comes back. We, we, we'll know when we're done because he will come back and, you know, tell us, okay, you're done. That's it. You finish the task until that time. I don't think we have permission to stop uh, working. And so, you know, we've been laser focused on this, what we call the first finish line of the unengaged, getting the gospel to every people group on the planet. And as we have gotten closer to that, now we're starting to say, okay, where's the next finish line we should be sprinting toward, right? If, if we've crossed the first one, that's great. Where should we go next? And it seems pretty obvious that the the next finish line is this idea of taking the gospel to the whole world. Uh, I, I mentioned that verse, Matthew 24, 14 earlier. Jesus says, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Well, we've been focused on the all nations part. Finishing Fund 2.0 is about the whole world part. So if you go to a country like India, what you would find is, is that the gospel is spreading very rapidly and that many, many people are becoming believers. But there are still thousands upon thousands of villages where there's no Christian witness at all. There's no church. So the next village over may have a little church. There may be believers there or the one two over, but there's none in the one where I live. And you know, given the way people move and work in those places, their chances of coming to know Jesus are, are pretty slim if there's not something in their immediate place. And so Finishing Fund 2.0 is about getting a church planted in every habited place on the planet, every village, every ward of every city, every neighborhood, so that the presence of the gospel really has reached the whole world. We think that there are probably about 3 million more churches that are required to fulfill that uh, goal, you know, to get to the place where there is a, a church in every place. And so Finishing Fund 2.0 is about supporting great ministries who will commit to pick some geography, you know, a county or a state or maybe even a small country, and say, we will, by God's grace, work to plant a church in every place in that, in that geography. And it's really exciting to see how God's already beginning to step out and, you know, uh, raise up ministries who are willing to go make that happen. We've already got five or six projects launched in that space. And it's fun to watch, um, you know, how, how God is, is, uh, is providing in that as well. No, oh, it's amazing. Drew and Doug, how did you guys get connected? What was the connection between Forefront Church and the Finishing Fund? You know, it was totally a God thing, as only the Lord does. You know, we had been previously working with some ministry partners in India, 
and uh, felt that you know that project had come to a point where it was time for us to to look and to uh, move in a different direction. And so our, our you know our, our mission director Lori Seldine and her husband mm-hmm. Todd Seldine just began uh, praying and and seeking what comes next. And we got connected with the Issachar Initiative, Paul Eshelman mm-hmm. and that group. And we found out about a people group in China that we were really felt the Lord tugging at our heartstrings on. And so we uh, got connected with Doug and just started some preliminary conversations and were invited to the partner retreat uh, in California with Doug and his team in 2018. And what was so funny about how God works is we had no idea what we were getting ourselves into. We thought we were going to support this one people group or, you know, pursue this one people group in China. And we show up and it's like, actually, you're a part of now pursuing 1400 people groups all over the globe. And our hearts just lit on fire. You know, just the fact that God opened that door. Here's this little church in Denver, Colorado. Uh, I think Doug, we were the first church to to partner with the finishing fund. I think You, you were exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's just so yeah. fun. And so we're sitting in this room and we're like, wow, so uh, this is really happening. And it's just been a pleasure working with Doug and uh, Doug watching just the way that your ministry partners are changing the world for Jesus. I, I just have loved every second of it. Well, Drew, we are so thrilled to have Forefront and, you know, as a longtime partner, you know, when you all finished your initial commitment, you renewed and kept going with us. Todd and Laurie have become partners and Laurie's actually now even on my board of directors. So she's become my boss. She's become my boss now. (laughs) And, uh, um, she's all of our bosses, Doug. (laughs) She's a very nice boss. Um, and so, uh, you know, it's just been great to see how that, how that's happened. You know, it's been interesting for me. Um, I thought maybe early on that a lot of churches might become, uh, you know, finishing fund partners that it might, but most churches, you know, Drew have that same approach that you had in mind when you first met us, right? We want to pick a group, kind of focus on that. And, you know, our model, which is more kind of a mutual fund model, let's all get together and do this together, um, you know, is a little, maybe a little less appealing to, um, you know, to some churches. And so we now have four or five church partners and we're, we're thrilled about that. I'd love to have more, but I'm really grateful for you guys for, you know, having the vision to, to be the first of those. Well, we love being a part of this, Doug, and, and we're, we're so excited for how the Lord is moving and so excited for finishing Fund 2.0. I just love this idea of what is the next step the Lord is calling, and it's planting churches now. We've got, we've got people groups that are reached. We've got new believers. We've got people who've been baptized and discipled. But now let's get them into the body, into the community of the local mm-hmm. church where mm-hmm. the Lord can just move in that region. Uh, so I'm so excited and can't wait to see how the Lord uses this Finishing Fund 2.0 project uh, this year and in the years to come. Well, thank you for being a part of that. Um, we're excited about it. You know, we're, we're very close, I think, to that first finish line. I hope this year we'll be started. But we're not very far from even the the church in every place finish line. Our our goal there is a five-year goal. And, um, you know, by God's grace, I, I really think that's possible. So even if, you know, we're not going to finish everything immediately, we're very close. You know, if you think about how long the church has been working on this, close to 2,000 years now, uh, to think that we're only a handful of years away from seeing you know, these finish lines cross. That's an amazing, we are such a privileged generation. I, I personally think this is the most exciting and important time to be alive since Jesus walked the earth. We, mm. we have the capability to be the ones who see this race finished. No, that's an incredible thing about. So tell us about the your book and where people can get it as well, Doug. 
Yeah, I uh, uh, wrote a book a couple of years ago called And Then the End Will Come, based on that Matthew 24, 14 verse. Um, and it, it's about what we've been talking about, this race to complete the Great Commission, and Jesus promised to come back when we finished it. Uh, but it also looks at a handful of other clues that we are living in the time of Jesus' return. I, I'm, you know, I'm absolutely convinced that um, we're not far from seeing him. It's powerfully motivating to me and exciting, um, you know, to do this work to try to prepare the way for that. Um, but I, I think there's lots of ev evidence from the scriptures that, you know, we are very close to the time of of Jesus' return. And so that book's available at Amazon.com, and then the end will come. Uh, and, you know, uh, probably that's the easiest way for people to get it. You can also order it at Barnes & Noble. ChristianBooks.com has it. Um, but, um, you know, most people buy most books from Amazon, so it's easy <laughs> to get there. I see that you also have the audiobook on there. That's my favorite format to uh, consume books. Yeah, a great brother recorded that for me, and uh, he's done a great job. A lot of people have used it that way, so... No, absolutely. So as we, is there anything else, any parting thoughts, any encouraging words for the local church about the capital C church? You know, um, I would just say, uh, you know, there, there are lots of things that are discouraging to us as we look around these days, right? Um, the economy's not doing great. The culture seems to be in desperate trouble. You know, depending on your politics, you're probably half the people are unhappy all the time about politics, right? And um, you know, so many reasons to be discouraged and defeated, uh, to be fearful uh, about what's happening, you know, with the COVID epidemic, you know, all of that. Um, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, therefore, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, because what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. And I just think being aware of what God's doing around the world, uh, how his kingdom is expanding, and ultimately how his kingdom is going to come soon to the world is a powerful antidote for these seen things that are so discouraging and defeating to us, right? So one of the things I've been trying to practice is just take my eye off of the things that worry me and put my eyes on what's coming, uh, the kingdom of God and the wonderful promises that God has given us for what that's going to be like. I think it's the antidote to fear and discouragement. It's such an encouragement, Doug. I just love that. And I love just uh, that, that, you know, that, that process of just keep pointing your eyes to Jesus because he yep. is the finisher and perfecter of our faith. It's beautiful. Yep. 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 No, that's awesome. If someone wanted to follow up with you, see what you guys are doing, Doug, what's the best way for them to stay in touch with you? Probably the best place to start would be to visit our website, finishingfund.org, one word, finishingfund.org. And then um, there's a button on there that you can uh, press and I'll get an email and, you know, we can start a conversation if you'd like to learn more. No, absolutely. Doug, we really, really, really appreciate the time. We love the update. We love the vision that you guys have cast and the goals you guys have cast. So we're, I can't tell you how much fun and I'm glad you didn't do it too quickly on just a personal note. So, <laughs> well, now yeah, that Rob had married, to get married we, first. Now that we're fit, you're married, Rob, can we finish? Is that okay? Do we? I mean, I, I, I'm I wanted happy. Jesus to come back yesterday. We were having so many tech issues. Like Jesus, <laughs> nine thirty Mountain Standard Time. Just come back, please. Yeah, well, you can always, you can always see how, how how good the day's going or how good your back's feeling. Like I could use a new body, God. Come on, let's go. That's right. That's right. He, he's promised. He's promised you one, and it's never going to wear out. Right. So thanks, guys. Oh, this man. has been fun. I really appreciate you. Yeah. Thanks, Doug. Appreciate Doug, you. Lo love you and and your family and all that you guys are doing. It's been it's been a blessing to have you on again. 
Doug, stay with us here for, for, the forefront. Yeah, Doug, stay with us here for a moment. And if you have questions or thoughts that you want to connect with us, life at forefrontchurch.tv, shoot us a note. We'd love to hear from you, questions or ways we can pray for you. Uh, Pastor Darren Enns, thank you so much for the time. My pleasure as always. Pastor Drew Tarwater, thank you for the time. Always so good to be together. Doug Cobb, thank you once again. Thank you. My thank pleasure. You. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, thanks, Doug. <laughs> and I'm Rob Lazi. Thank you so much for listening. You we'll have been listening time. to More to the Story, a weekly podcast featuring Pastor Drew Tarwater and Pastor Darren Enns of Forefront Church in Denver, Colorado. Each week, More to the Story podcast will follow the Forefront Church Sunday sermon as Pastor Drew and Pastor Darren guide you through the Bible from Genesis through Revelation. Every podcast will feature in-depth analysis of the sermon and answer questions about the Bible. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another edition of More to the Story.